HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. It's the final stretch of 2022 and HRN needs your help. Become an HRN member with a donation of any amount at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This episode is brought to you by GigPro, the staffing solution for businesses and workers in the hospitality industry. Check out gigpro.com and download the GigPro app today. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Rachel Krupa, founder of Krupa Consulting and The Goods Mart, a convenience store for a new generation, showcasing better for you, better for the planet products. In 2010, Rachel founded Krupa Consulting, a PR agency that's worked with brands including Goop, Thrive Market, Taste Made, and Our Place. Building off what she was learning from her clients, Rachel opened the first Goods Mart in New York City in 2018. We were just talking about how I think the first time I reached out to host you was in 2019. So <laughs> welcome, Rachel. It only <laughs> took us three years to get this organized, oh. but yay. <laughs> Hopefully it's worth the wait. And thank you so much for having me on. Um, congrats on everything. And I've been really enjoying listening to all the incredible humans oh, that you're speaking you. with. Thank you. Yeah, it is an industry filled with a lot of good humans, I have to say. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, well, I think this is an interesting, uh, it's an interesting way to start because you are all about communications. And I think one of the things that founders find exhausting is that we're sort of constantly, um, you know, winning people over or trying to. So it's the public, it's consumers, it's buyers, it's investors, it's brokers and distributors. It's, it's kind of everyone. Um, and I think that sometimes this industry can feel like it's a lot of that and a lot of bluster. But when you kind of 
move that stuff away. It's just a lot of people who are really just trying to make better things for people's lives to make them happier, you know? Um, so true. Yeah. So in terms of you and what you do, let's start a little bit with the PR side of things and the communication side of things, and then go into um, how you basically took all of that and made a space, because I think it's really cool and probably a dream of a lot of people that work adjacent to, you know, really cool brands all day, every day. Um, and so I'd like to just start off a little bit with your impression of the following sentence, which is <laughs> the pendulum sort of swings back and forth about the need for traditional old school media and PR. What are your thoughts? Um, I think if that is the pendulum, it needs to be shifted because PR is constantly changing and what um, individual and brands needs are, are constantly changing. So if you're looking for old school, you're probably looking in the wrong place. Um, and PR should not be cookie cutter. PR should be very much individualized based on what we look at as our human health. It's the same thing as a brand. Every brand is different. Every brand has a different founder story, or they want to elevate the founder that they don't. They have different needs um, of the first question I always ask when we meet with a client or a potential client is, why do you want PR? Do you want PR for trade publications because you're looking for investors, you're looking for buyers, you're, are you looking for consumers to purchase? Are you, you know, looking at it from like a standpoint of SEO? Because once I understand why you want PR, then I'm going to be able to tailor a plan and direction to garner what you need. And I think that that is the biggest issue that most people have with PR is that they don't yeah. know why and that they have to really right. fine tune of what you need it for so that you have the expectation expectations of what the outcome will be. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's actually, that's, that feels so pertinent because, you know, I remember just having conversations with various people over the years you know, we're, we're a fresh sauce. We're not going to get a front page, you know, cover of the New York times, yeah. you know, with our pouch, but you know, and, yeah. and it was always like, okay, can we get in a roundup? And then it was, okay, can we, you know, build out sort of a, a brand awareness based on my expertise as having taught cooking for 25 years or having written a cookbook or, you know, and I was always a little bit like, well, I don't know, just me picking pots and pans as an expert, how does that sell sauce? Um, but, you know, I think when, if, if I were only just looking for stories talking about the, you know, chimichurri, I would be basically waiting for a very, very long time. Like occasionally, we get a really sweet one, but for the most part, that like steady beat of like awareness and, and, you know, building sort of the, the name doesn't tend to come from what I think most founders probably think it should come from. Yeah, because you have to remember that there's so many brands that are launching at one given time, but what makes you want to, as a consumer, 
put your money in that brand. And so we lean really into like the founder story and you're talking about what pans do you use or, you know, having that. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Like, let, let's talk about that from a press perspective, because that makes you interesting in regards of, okay, then how does that sauce work in that pan or what, what am I doing right or wrong? Or that's so fascinating or interesting because that's their journey to get there. And that's when you get like a brand profile that you can be on more of the front page of like the food section of the times, because it's like that journey, but also what makes you interesting. And that's where you have to pull those nuggets where it's not always the sauce is the sauce, it's the sauce, but what makes your sauce so great? Where do you source your ingredients? You know, how many times did you try this recipe before it was incredible? And that's like what you wanted to package. What were like those hiccups and hurdles that got you there? Because those hiccups and hurdles could also be a story. What was like the trial process of that entire journey? And that's like really what PR is. It's helping you find those nuggets of press that elevate those. But again, that goes back into that's talking about the sauce. That also is talking about the taste and that's the brand. But if you want to talk about buyers and you want to talk about investors, that's a completely different story and direction that you would go because they're yeah. not going to want to talk about that side of it. So it goes into the why and what is needed. And can you break down the SEO thing a little bit? Because I am hearing, is that just, I mean, really like dummy, dummy version question, but like, is that just like, you want that name just popping up a lot all over the place and you're just like building this like little mountain of mentions to get, to a place where then you can get the stories that you want a little bit? Like what, what is the SEO um, yeah. strategy? So the SEO is more of getting enough um, mentions and then also keywords that go along with that mention so that you have more visibility if someone Googles you um, yep. and you start to get that kind of like, it's it's hard to explain. It's like that accumulation of kind of mentions. And then it's also fascinating where we don't so much focus on SEO because it's more from a digital side, but it's more from a standard. There are particular key outlets that get you higher SEO, but they don't necessarily normally mean that's the outlet that you want to be in because it's sometimes like, very high reach and volume because of just like the background of that platform yeah. or that media outlet, but it's not maybe always New York times or women's health. That right. is more of clout building versus SEO building. And there's right. like a handful of those, like, you know, 30 SEO sites that you're like, we just got to get on these sites that help you kind of rise to the top when someone searches fresh sauces or they yeah. type in an ingredient. Um, so that's more from an SEO perspective. It does feel like, you know, I mean, it's, I always joke about, you know, I like, I, we started off saying how many good people there are. And I do think we're generally good people, but I also think yeah. that we have to almost be, um, you know, a little, I mean, all of us think we've created the best thing since sliced bread. We have to think that otherwise this job is like too painful, right? I mean, that's the brain of an entrepreneur. It's you're constantly going from this to this to this and you're like, but what's next? And this is the best thing because 
of what it is. And I feel like there is a slice of the best thing in everything. And it's yeah. pulling out what that differentiating factor is so that you can talk about it. And that's like what pulls apart brands that are doing it just from a standpoint of I'm building a brand because I'm going to make a quick exit. Mm-hmm. Those are particular brands. So they're not going to have like the press darling side of it, but those that are doing it right, that have an impact that understand what's going inside their products. I would have to say that they're great people and they probably yeah. have an incredible brand because that's what the ingredient is from a beginning of like a great brand It's that passion to build something because there was a void in the marketplace that they grew up with this flavor or this taste and that they wanted to reach more people. Yes, there's an end goal and there's a strategy and you will make money or hope to make money, but that's the reason why you're starting it, not the reason because you want to exit in a year and a half. For sure. And I think think a lot of us feel sort of frustrated that more, there isn't more opportunity to tell our stories so like you know it there I think the media tends to like you know I it used to be like this brand has a blah 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 wait list right and Mm -hmm. or this brand just launched 120 new SKUs you know or you know the seasonal flavors which are hard for a lot of us the collabs which are hard for a lot of us so it's like I think a lot of us feel a little frustrated that there isn't just like, here's a good story about a really nice brand that's doing well. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I get yeah, it. They need to have so. like a hook, you know, but, but that's but where I, you know. it's so different these days because you have affiliate marketing and you have everything along those lines. And that's when it goes back into old school PR is old school mm-hmm. where you have to look at affiliate marketing. You have to look at, you know, brand building and you have to look at partnerships and partnerships don't necessarily have to cost a lot um, because I would look at it as just like, how do you do cross pollinations? And it's not giveaways, but majority of brands now have their own blog or they have their own social following and like takeovers. That's really great reach. And that's an active audience and active viewer and readership that that's also what PR is tapping into because that's like brands that are coming together that's amazing. And it's just being creative with that direction because partnerships are so beautiful because you're tapping into like-minded, like-minded like audiences. Yeah, no. And we, I mean, we have a really fun time with them just because, you know, I always say, you know, mm-hmm. condiments are just the most fun category to be in because a, you play with everyone you know, the meat people, the non-meat people, the gluten people, the non-gluten people, the keto people, the non-keto people. But also you get to play with other condiments, which is like for someone who's like, doesn't, I I don't want to say I'm not competitive because just in case investors are listening, I'm really competitive. No, but you know, I like, it's really fun to be able to do something with another condiment because it's not a zero sum game and it's not a winner take all category. And we're all, you know, there are people that just use like multiple condiments on a dish at any time. And most people have multiple sauces and condiments in their fridge and pantry at any time. So partnerships are, are really fun for us. Are, are you seeing people, I mean, aside from like, I can just think of like the fly by Jing and Fishwife collab. Like, are you seeing people leverage those partnerships that aren't necessarily product partnerships into press 
or not so much? Yeah, because like we did, um, you know, where it was a product, but it wasn't necessarily a, like a collaboration in the sense of, you know, the incredibleness of Fly by Jing and Fish Vibes. But we did something with Levi's, which completely different category, but it was targeted around National Ice Cream Day because when we were working with Brave Robot, you know, more sustainable, plant-based, more innovative in regards of, um, you know, the thoughtfulness of what the impact is on the planet and the biggest initiative right. for Levi's during that time was sustainability. So we're like, let's come up with the red, white, and blues as in red, white, and blue. It's, you know, national ice cream days, I think July 8th. So it's right after the 4th mm -hmm. of July, but the blue is meant for Levi's. So mm -hmm. we did a, a flavor collaboration with them only on a food truck for a weekend. And then right. we did a mailer to their audience of influencers and VIPs that was completely different than the Brave Robot food side. And so that mm -hmm. was like fashion and more entertainment talent. But then that yeah. was just like super cool because it wasn't a product that you need to sell on a shelf or sell online. Right. That drove people to go to the truck. That drove people into the store of Levi's. That drove people to be like, oh, what is this Brave Robot? What do I need to know <laughs> more about? And then from a social right. perspective. So there's fun ways um, to look at it that you're like, yeah. oh, that's just like fun where I, that's what I always love to encourage like brands that it's look above and beyond like the food category because you're kind of all yeah. talking to each other at some point yeah. and like going into because to me, snacks and food are an affordable luxury that all luxury brands are looking to do and ha have been doing now. Because yep. it's something that you can afford, it's something that you can take home, but it, it makes you an active participant in that feeling of, right. oh, I have this. It's like you look at like a chai tea with Kith. You see all of these things that are impactful and those brands are looking for cool makers that are doing yeah. great things, not big brands that are Doritos and Frito-Lays and all of that. They want right. cool brands with stories so that they, it's impactful to them because that's the ethos that they're doing. And so when you're talking about like PR, you're including the partnership piece or. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because it. that also helps you get press, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. It gives yeah. you something to talk about and doing that. It doesn't always necessarily have to cost a lot. And if you're working with a larger brand, sometimes those brands are going to pay for everything too. Yeah. Because I love they, that want to work with a young brand that's doing it right and different and they understand right. the power that they have, but they also understand the cost of what that is. So speaking of costs, I think a lot of us are kind of looking, you know, line by line, deciding what's working, what's not. I'm just curious your thoughts on like how, you know, we, if you're not a direct to consumer brand, there's no way to be like, this thing directly made this many sales. Like we've kind of all assumed that it's not going to be perfectly, perfectly trackable, but we do need some KPIs around evaluating whether the current PR situation that we have is working. And I guess I'm curious what you would advise people to look at, you know, how do you evaluate if you're working, you know? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's it's so hard and this is going to be like the LA woo-woo side of me coming out where it's just like a feeling, you know, like right. you know if it's working you know and it when it's you see not it. working. Yeah. 
you know, and that's like yeah. what, you know, it's just like, you know, if there is a lot of work and that you can see, because even from like the standpoint of, you know, D to C brands, you can't always translate PR because you don't know if someone's clicking on that link to purchase or they're clicking on the link and then they're seeing it in five other places and then they're going direct to your site to buy it. Um, and so that's the really hard thing about press, but it, again, it goes back into the, like the building blocks of what PR is, it's making sure you have that brand awareness and that breath that you are in that zeitgeist of like what people are talking about. And then that also translates into sales, but that also could translate into cool partnerships that could translate into, you know, a buyer seeing a piece and then picking up, you know, your product and giving you national distribution within Whole Foods. Yeah, that also 100%. translates to press too. So it's not only like, what are my sales? It's what's the overall impact. And I think that is where brands look at PR and PR sometimes has a bad rep is because it's just like, I'm not seeing direct sales from this one piece. That's just right. a really archaic way to look at it. You really need to look at it like the sum of the parts and you know when it's working and when it's not. And I think that is just like the initial gut side of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting. Like you can almost feel, and I know this sounds insane, but I also feel like there are times when I get a lot of, wow, you guys are really blow, like killing it or crushing it or wow, it seems like, and it has very little to do with what's actually going on in the business. I've had times where it's been like kind of crickets, but the mm-hmm. business is actually like thriving. And then I've had times yeah. where like, you know, we can't get a truck to pick us up and something broke and I'm on the floor crying and people are like, oh my gosh, you guys are like amazing. Like you're everywhere. <laughs> so I feel like there's like a, like, I think you use the word zeitgeist, like you're, and, but it's hard to just keep it up constantly. And I think it's, but I think that's the feeling you're talking about. You can almost feel when. I think also we can probably feel when people are phoning it a little, phoning it in a little bit, you know, like there's a, you know, it's totally, and it is that, and it's like when there's peaks and flows of newness. And I think that's also just like so hard from a press perspective. It's like, you always hate when you have to like be like, Oh, I need something new to talk about because that's just like the virtuous cycle of press. But it's like in those lulls, that's when you tap into a partnership. Like when you don't have a new flavor, you don't have something, that's when you tap in a partnership. Hey, when we're this moment, we're going to build this and here's where you're going to see the momentum. And it's that constant conversation that you should have with your PR agency so that you know that there's moment of growth and that there's moment of building. And that's like wow. every campaign, even when you're working internally with your teams, you know, it's just like, okay, we're going to be like a little bit like scrappy and lean right now, but we're building. And then you're like, okay, we got to grow because we're launching this and boom, boom, boom. It's the same thing with PR because you can't, it's always on, but it's always on in regards to the background of this is where the moment is. Like you're not going to get a New York Times piece when there's nothing going on, but this is the moment that we're going to build to because this is what you have in three months. This is what you're going to have in six months. So let's build up to this. Let's figure out like, what is this entertaining piece that you have with Wall Street Journal? Who are the people that you want to have around the table? Where can we have it? Let's start building this now. So when this happens, it's, you know, shot, it happens like two months in advance, but then it launches on this day. That's just like the most beautiful day with the launch of your new sauce or your product or whatever that is. 
And right. so there's like the ebbs and flow of a dance where sometimes like your innovation is leading and sometimes there's the dance when the PR like, you know, let's do partnerships, let's do this side and the creativity of them are leading. And so right. that's like the beautifulness of like a really great agency that you're working with that you're just like, we like to consider ourselves just a, a partner and part of your team, not just the PR team. We're not a vendor. You want to be right. an active participant in your company and like use us more than just like, I need this editorial up, but like, how are consumers talking about you? You know, what is right. this feeling? What does this look like from a social perspective? How do you talk about it social? And then from like an editorial perspective, how do you push this piece out within your social platform so that you get more reach and visibility? You know, yeah. so it's this conversation that a true like partnership in it. And it's not just do this, do that, because right. that's not going to make it fun for anyone too, because you also want it to be fun. Yeah. And I think, I think what we're all sort of realizing too, you know, whether it's like, you know, people talk about integrating with their co-packer, people are talking about like, you know, relationships with retailers is their sort of like, you know, rationalizing skews. I think anything here, I mean, it's not rocket science is about that relationship and any, you know, any sort of anyone at the table with you building what you're building is going to be, it's like you're on the bus or you're kind of off the bus and like you want all of the people that are helping get this bus up the mountain, like on the bus. And that is, if it's just transactional, there's always going to be a newer, brighter, shinier brand for y'all to partner with. So if we, it, it kind of, we should be building those relationships on like the brand side too with our agencies because, you know, so much of your job seems to be also just like accounting for what is inevitable churn to some degree and developing business outside of us, you know? So. Yeah. It's the passion. You want that passion yeah. to be there. A publicist is not a salesperson. Right. You know, we have dreams and we have goals for ourselves of placements that we want. And so it's right. how does like the client that we're working with us get the goals that we have. And so it's the passion of like, I believe in you in a hundred percent. Like I'm going to go to bat with you. I've gone to bat right. with a handful of people with our clients of being like, no, right. no, you're thinking about it wrong. And it's just like, the founder would be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. You kind of got in like mama, you know, mama bear mode. And I'm like 1000% right. because like, I, I felt that that was wrong yeah. because like, this is actually what you're doing. And this is like right. where it needs to go. And this is the level of like conversation. And so you need that passion too, because that right. again goes back into, we're not salespeople. We actually want and believe in the clients that we have the opportunity to work with and help grow and really be an integral part of the team. That's what we love. It's like that brand building perspective. It's like, yeah, give it to us. it's hungry for it. Yeah, well, you you really love your brands because you actually made a physical location for them. But we're going to get to that after the break. Nice I want to ask you one more question. <laughs> almost, almost a good segue. I have one other question before we go to the break, which is: yeah. there are a lot of people listening to this. They are just not there. They can't spend thousands of dollars a month. What should they do? What What is a just a very easy framework? for brands that like want to start turning on this awareness tap, 
can't afford someone like you, um, you know, how do they do it a little bit? How do any of us do it? I mean, myself included before we're ready for like the big, the big guns. Yeah, I think, um, well, we offer an inspire program within our company where we work with, um, female or founders, um, diverse founders and do, um, each quarter work with a brand. Um, oh. to help them grow from a PR perspective. So we have that as like, that's part of what we love to do to help brands grow um, that do not have the, you know, the financial support to hire a PR agency. Um, and so that's something, A, look at our website um, in our Inspire program. And then secondarily, I think it's, it's starting to, you know, read publications that you want to be in. It's starting to, you know, look at the writers who are writing and start to do outreach and the, the super simple outreach is like, you know, if you can't find their email, everyone's on Instagram or on, you know, pretty much Instagram these days. Um, and DM them, just be like, Hey, I'm the founder of this product or I'm part of this team and we want to send you product to try. And like, here's like a really one sentence, two sentence, maybe blurb that talks about why you're so special and send it the biggest thing from like a food brand perspective is getting in their hands to try it. Once someone's tried something and falls in love with it, they're going to want to write about it or figure out a way to write about it. And so yeah. it's starting to create that list of these are the people that I love reading. These are the brands that have been, they've written about them before um, and getting it into the hands of people. And then I would also say, you know, seeing what type of events that you can go into that are media focused there's a lot of people, like even especially during the holidays, people are having so many holiday markets that you don't always have to pay to be part of, um, right. but be there, sample, um, because you never know who's going to be there. But look outside the box where it's not just always food on food, but like different things of whether it is, um, you know, cookware, jeans, cookware, yeah. it's <laughs> Sir Latab is doing something, our place at their new retail store is doing something. Um, because people want to try and they want to sample, but that also means like there's press and editors there or just really sometimes just slipping into someone's DM and being like, Hey, I read this incredible story that you wrote, like Bravo. I have this product that I would love for you to try. And majority of the time they're going to be like, great. And it's just like, what's your address? And then you send it. And then that's like a really basic building block of what it is. Amazing. Okay, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and talk about the Good Smart. Lovely. Up your marketing game and support nonprofit food radio when you put your brand on the HRN airwaves with a business membership. HRN is committed to spotlighting small businesses that keep our community vibrant. When you become an HRN business member at the $500 level, You'll receive on-air mentions on HRN podcasts, shout-outs on social media, listings on our website, and more as part of our thank you package. By becoming an HRN member, you'll help sustain our mission to transform the way people think about food. In return, HRN will shine a light on your work in front of an audience of food enthusiasts, industry insiders, owner-operators, and decision-makers. Become a business member and make your tax-deductible donation today at heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z. GigPro is the solution to the restaurant staffing crisis. We're offering businesses the chance to instantly fill their shifts 
and Food and Beverage pros the chance for better wages, more flexibility in their schedules and benefits. If you're a business, go to gigpro.com, create your free account, and post the shifts you need filled. If you're a hospitality worker, download the GigPro app, create your profile, start applying to shifts, and start getting paid. We know what hospitality businesses and workers need because we spent decades working in the industry ourselves. If you're tired of wasting money on broken recruiting tools or sending your resume into the void, you owe it to yourself to give GigPro a shot. Whether it's a couple shifts or a full-time hire, GigPro lets you 86 the broken staffing status quo and embrace a better future. I'm back with Rachel Krupa, founder of Krupa Consulting and The Goods Mart. Okay. So you clearly love your brands. You clearly love brands. I mean, you were, Loved. it was, it was oozing through the Zencaster. Um, and then in 2018, you're feeling all of this love for all of these emerging brands and you're seeing them come up. And I think what my understanding is you also sort of grew up loving the 7-Eleven and the convenience store and basically wanted to merge these new brands, the new consumer, with a convenience store that doesn't feel like it's straight out of 1973. You know, <laughs> so was that the goal? Yeah, it was It was twofold, you were correct. It was um, obsession with convenience stores and more gas stations. I grew up um, going to a local Sunoco gas station in the small town that I'm from in Michigan, but then it was also understanding and learning from the brands that we were working with. Um, we launched Brownie Brittle and Barnana, um, I would say one of the first in like the better for you category within CPG. Um, and talking to them, it was like, again, going back into like the PR question, like, what's your retail strategy? You know, how are you getting into X, Y, and Z? And it was normally we're going to go into club stores. We're going to go natural. And then we're going to get a distributor that's going to do the convenience stores. And you're like, but is there a convenience store or like a store that you would aim to? And they're like, no, it's just the distributors kind of send it out. We really don't know where it's at. And you're like, hmm, like convenience stores are supposed to be convenient. And if we have this innovation of everything, there's a pretty much a better for you component to everything that is in a traditional convenience store. Why is convenience no longer convenient? And why don't they contain the products that are making a difference? And why or do we have right. to compromise for you know, back in the day, it was just like, I love Cliff Bar. And I, it was just like, why Cliff Bars and just Crave Jerky? Those were your mm -hmm. options or water. And so it was just yeah. like, oh, Lord, why do I have to shop this specialty organic section? What is everything else in the store made of? If I have this one right. side that's organic. Um, so it was really looking at that of just being like, how do you create a store that you're able to shop without having to always read the labels? that there was a level of curation, but also a level of discovery. And that's what I always loved. It was like a place that you find all your friends and your snack friends, that is. <laughs> um, and that if you had children or you had, you know, different ways of eating that you could find something and not always be told no, or have to right. like, compromise and leave with just like the something that is like, mm, okay, without being satisfied. And that is like something for me that, food is that connector it's like the right. moment that you feel happy after a first bite you eat when you're sad you eat during pretty much every milestone within one's life and that should yeah. be considered every day too it's just like yeah. those little things that make you happy 
I found this new product. Oh my gosh, it tastes so great. Like I got this around the corner. It adds that level of, I don't know, that's what I wanted to create. It was bringing back community, but also bringing the community amongst like the brands in our store too. Right. It's it's like a little summer camp canteen in a way for all of the stuff that just makes you really happy, but is also like a daily need in a, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like and everyone should be able to come in and find something that they love or right. recognize yeah. or not recognize, but discover for the first time. And just, I mean, did you know that retail was just a huge pain in the ass? Like, I mean, obviously like, I'm thinking like, okay, so you are not handling any inventory. You have no real estate. You don't have to worry about rent. You are not paying any labor on like cash register, like everything that I know from the cooking school that, (laughs) you know, and everything everyone tells you. And this is the funny part about having a brick and mortar space. Everyone tells you the same thing. People warn you up and down. And for some reason, we do it anyway. And we do it because we have this like compelling need to like create a space with things that we love and that other people should love. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing. It's behind the same thing. Why I'm making a fresh sauce in a pouch that like, yes, you know, I, God only knows, but it's interesting because you did it anyway. (laughs) So, well, no one told me not to do it. Really? It was a great idea, but I was also talking to friends that didn't, that didn't know retail. Because right. I came I from a brand perspective, right. and I just just started telling friends that I was going to do a Better View Seven Eleven, you know, and everyone's like, uh-huh. "Oh my gosh, that sounds like a great idea! You should totally do that." <laughs> and when I created yeah. the business plan, I never told really <laughs> anyone funny. what I was doing, and I think that's part of good bad side of me that I didn't look around, I didn't do any homework along that side, and I found a space. It was the first space that I saw. It was in the first one we had was in Silver Lake in, in Los Angeles, actually. And it was just like, I found a space that looked great. It looked kind of cheap because, you know, it was a little bit run down and I knew I could do something great with right. paint. And I walked in and the guy was like, oh my gosh, it used to be an old like grocery store in the 70s. So I walked in and I was like, there was already like a walk-in fridge that was there from the 70s. And I was like, oh, oh my, my gosh, gosh, I need it. I'm going to take it. And from there, it was like, okay, I got a line of credit from the bank because of the PR agency I've had for, you know, at that point, pretty much like eight, nine years. And so I got a line of credit from the bank. And from that moment on, because we worked with so many people from the PR side, I got my, you know, Michael Palmer from McConnell's Ice Cream. He was like, here's the contractor you need to use. Like I had other friends that are like, here's the expediter that we use. Here's this, here's that. And I was like, great. I got my all-star team put together. And then it was just like, oh, the reefer needs to be taped down. I need a new one. And then I need this and uh-huh. I need that. And like, what do you mean I need plumbing? I need to dig up the entire floor to put in like water <laughs> and all of that. And I was like, okay, this is great retail. But to me, it was still learning and it was tapping into, you know, an incredible human that I met at Thrive Market that you know, help them build out and was just like kind of like an operations one of their first buyers. And he was like, well, I'll create all the operations for you and just build it out for you. I was like, wow, great. And so it was coming together and finding the pieces. I'm a believer in like, if things come to you in a way that is not like 
it's hard work and it's, it's, it hasn't been easy the entire way. And there, it's still always like a day, you know, but at the same time, the things that come with it, a little bit more ease of people falling in your lap or these things, like, I feel that you're on a right path of doing something. Mm-hmm. There's always totally. going to be the hills and the bumps and the bruises, but like you're onto something because like, I believe the universe is not going to push you forward. If you're not meant to be there, you just have to be able to watch the signs to be like, is this a good sign? Or is this just me being like, I'm going to do it. Um, And so no one told me not to. And now that I have a PhD in retail after about five years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I still love it, but it's so challenging sometimes. Yeah. So in terms of that um, PhD in retail, I want to talk more because we could have a whole podcast about, you know, the brick and mortar side, but I want to, I want to ask more about like the brands that you saw come and go, the brands that you saw come and make it big and the brands that you saw come and somehow didn't quite work. Um, how are you, how do you think about those? Like, you know, your nose is probably pretty good. It was probably pretty good choosing clients. It's probably gotten even better knowing what it takes to be not just a good brand, but a good retail business or wholesale business. So talk about that a little bit. I think that there's, it's, you know, early days. And I think you always kick yourself in a little bit where I remember Denise from Partake came and gave me samples. I think it was 2018, 2019. Um, And I was just like, your cookies are so amazing, but the price point, I'm not sure if people are going to be able to pay for that price point yet. Um, Just because of where we were in LA, like adding shipping onto it and blah, blah, blah. So I was just like, we can't bring you in yet. Um, And then it was just like a year and a half down the road. And you were just like, Denise, like, I think we were ready. And then it was bringing Denise in with Partake. And it was just like, oh, you know that it's going to be great. And you had like, like she was in the back of my mind for so long, but it was just like the price point because the taste is there. Like the product is there, but then you also have to think about the price that a customer will pay for something. Um, And then like the customers in your store. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I had, I had, um, you know, rind very early. I had, I mean, I had a bunch of, I had Sir Kensington's in 2012, like before they were in Whole Foods and Mm -hmm. just in the front of the cooking school, like literally just, you know, I had this little tiny market, um, that ended up basically becoming an all day cafe and I got rid of the products. But one of our issues was we were so small, we couldn't work with any distributors. So we just had to buy directly from the brands. They weren't really set up for that. A lot of them didn't like, couldn't really do it. And the ones that could, the price by the time, I mean, I think we had white mustache yogurt Mm -hmm. on the shelf for, I think it was like 12 or $13 or something like it was crazy. Um, But, you know, of course at Italy, it can be, you know, eight because of the distributor system. So are you, I would imagine that you're not like a UNFI customer at this point or how are you? We started with UNFI and we said no. It was just too hard to work with just because they're order minimums and they don't necessarily work well with the the small guys. Um, Right. Well, and that's the thing. You have to sell through a lot of products to 
Right. But what we found just because of like where we are with the store and just finding really the great like emerging brands and, you know, the brands that in our mind are just like coming to the stage and more, a lot of stores, probably first, if not first 15 stores that they're going into, because we really want to be that partner for brands to be like, let us help you. Let's figure out right. like what the customers are saying. Let's like figure out how we're resonating with folks. Like, let us like be that partner because like for me, retail like no one's really giving you pointers. Um, at least mm-hmm. what I've heard from the brands is that I've spoken with and the, the founders, it was just like, let us help you. Let us like get that yeah. customer like insight for you and let's figure it out so that you're going to come to us first and people are going to graduate from us. And that's a yeah. beautiful thing. And that was yeah, like one no, of like, we brought in great. Sanzo and Sandro is one of the first mm-hmm. like beverages. And it was just like, I'm like, Oh, seeing, seeing, you know, seeing his product everywhere now, it makes you feel really good. You're just yeah. like, oh, like, how do, like, what else can we do to be helpful? And that's yeah, where I, mean, I look at retail differently. It's like looking at retail from like the brand marketing PR side too. It's like, right. if you're given the tools to build something great from the beginning, so you don't have so many hiccups, let's do that. Right. It's like an incubator. I mean, it, it really is. It's like a little mini test of retail. And so going back to the ones that haven't made it, are there common errors that you've seen that they that we can try to avoid? I think, you know, we're very particular about like taste. Um, so we try things because of taste and not always because of packaging. And I think sometimes it's um, maybe too early. Um, that right. the innovation still needs to come or the packaging needs to be there or, you know, just things need to be slightly tweaked. Um, but we found a lot of it more of, you know, the brands are not getting the, at least in like the last couple of years, they're not getting the investment that they need to continue or yeah. they're not continuously getting the supply chain that they need in order to get like a particular ingredient or they really want, you know, regenerative beef for a product and they can't get the supply anymore. So that's where majority of the products that we're seeing are more like coming off because they have to close because they're not receiving the revenue. You know, I guess it's like, it's not always the sales because it takes a while to build a brand from a sales perspective, but it's the investment. Yeah. Because, because what's happened is, you know, it, and this is, you know, me on my, um, this is when someone's like, geez, you know, and I try not to sound like super aggro about the whole thing, but I know (laughs) just so many, you know, founders that have kind of gotten thrashed around a bit in the sense that there was a, you know, thesis about just grow, grow, grow. Don't worry too much about your margin. Don't worry too much about your bottom line just grow. And yeah. that made, and again, everyone's a grown up. No one can make you do what you don't want to do. But when you're going to people who you assume are more experienced than you or who are positioning themselves as advisors or board members or et cetera, and you don't want to let them down, you tend to make decisions that aren't necessarily like, you know, you're not looking at the margin as as tightly as you should. Um, and then all of a sudden, like other way, you know, and now I think a lot of, we've talked about this. I mean, I just talked about it with Ari last week, but you know, I think everyone should just know that like, if, if you're caught in this kind of like, wait, what you are not the only one. And 
most consumer products, at least that I've heard of in the last decade, 15 years, like it is not unheard of to be profitable at 10 million in sales, 15 million in sales right now. So just think of how long it takes to get there. And that means that if you're not profitable until then, that means someone is feeding you the money to operate your business. And those investors have not left the table entirely, but a lot of them have slowed down. And it's particularly acute right now, Um, but it's been kind of happening. You know, I would say it was happening before COVID and then COVID kind of sped a lot of things up in weird different directions. And now it's kind of back, but yeah. And I mean, same thing on supply chain, you know, it, the idea of getting kicked off a line or having your tolling tripled was unheard of a few years ago. And now it's just par for the course, um, which goes back to building these relationships, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cause I think there's going to be a shift where we're just like all tides rise together and everyone help each other out. And the fact of growing smarter, not massive exponential growth that right. it's, really looking at success differently and what does success mean? Success is not always having X amount of this and this and this. It's a matter Mm -hmm. of how profitable are your company? How great is your reach and your growth? But in a way that is maintainable, that not is always so capital intensive and you have to be a little bit um, smart and witty with that in a way. But like success doesn't mean national distribution in the first year. Like right. there's something about like grassroots growing it and then building it. Um, but I think that also helps with like the longevity of a product. Um, yeah. Especially right now. To be patient. The time that we have. Yeah. And you have to have investors that are patient. I think that, yeah. you know, I've always been like a core than more person, but there is definitely this little part of me that's like, but what I'm seeing rewarded in the market is getting out fast and big. And sometimes it fails quickly, but it does seem to be, it's almost like I was talking, someone on my team lives in Hawaii. And I was like, I think this is like surfing. Like, I feel like you got to get out past where the wave is going to like keep knocking you over pretty quickly. Like you have to get out there, paddle out and like get to the smooth part before you can kind of like ride the thing in. And she was like, well, yeah, sort of. I mean, <laughs> I think I am yeah. not a surfer. So, but, you know, I do think that there's, um, you know, part of me, I've always advised people like focus on, you know, focus on your region, focus on your thing, like make the velocities, you know, super, super strong, then worry about whatever. But I have to admit also, I'm seeing brands that are like in 10,000 doors in the first three years, they seem to be doing quite well and they're raising a lot of money. And they seem to be, um, you know, in a pretty strong position. So I don't know. I'm like going back and forth in my mind, but I think it's probably somewhere right down the middle. um, I think it's just the middle. You have to have that balance. Yeah. But you have to have the balance of like what works and then growth, you know. And And, so I think it's said, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just going back to you know your the the brands that you've seen, a lot of them haven't made it because they've been underfunded or their supply chain got completely, you know, wrecked during the last couple of years. 
is there anything that you would say, okay, this market is pretty saturated. If you're thinking about innovating in this category, you might look at another category. Like, is there anything you're seeing where you're like, okay, geez, not another, you know, beverage, <laughs> sparkling, sparkling beverage. Yeah. That's, that's an expensive one too. What about bars? Bars, you know what the fascinating thing with bars are? Bars had a yeah. dip during COVID because people were not eating them so much at home because mm-hmm. you were working in like cooking at home or, you know, you weren't necessarily getting bars. Bars have been increasing. It's a category that right. has um, been growing. And I think that we've been looking at more bars too. Um, mm-hmm. But also bars that, um, it's looking at it where I look at it sometimes of like, we love to have both of two different worlds of this thing of, we say everything is better for you, not healthy because everyone has a different version of health. That it's mm-hmm. like, what do you have that are no sugar? So people that use the monk fruit stevia um, and the sugar alcohols and those that use sugar, but a little bit of the real stuff. And so right. that the customers are able to find that balance of both. And that's what we look for always within all of our products. It's the candy, it's the chips, it's the cookie that customers have so many different flavor and different like, yeah. requirements where lot, I, right. I can taste stevia and monk fruit right away. So I'm not yeah. that customer but I know that customer exists. So you're like, okay, which ones are blended really well that people are like, oh, I love this. And then you have those that have a little bit of real sugar, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. It's this right. fascination that I have right now with Diet Coke drinkers because yeah. of our 30 Rock <laughs> location. And we have like old uh-huh. school, like it's just like very like, you know, New Yorkers that want their Diet Coke. And you're right. just like, why, why do you want Diet Coke? You know? And it's yeah. fascinating once you listen to people, they're like, I love Diet Coke because of the taste of that artificialness. And you're like, great, you're going to love these. Or they're like, I right. love it because it gives me caffeine. And I don't look at Diet Coke as caffeine. And so right. you're like, okay, you're not going to like this because this is more functional, but you're going to like this because there's like, you know, caffeine from green coffee beans, but it's like a Diet Coke taste. Or do right. you love it because of just like the satisfaction that you have of just like that, just like I, you know, you want it and you have that different person. Like, you know, like I know it's not good for me and I, that's what I want about it. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause it goes back to like, you know, just continually asking why, 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 you know, and even if they don't necessarily know you can get them to answer, but you said something interesting earlier when we were talking about bars and it was about like bars took a dip during COVID and then they're starting. And I'm thinking about myself. I'm like, I'm traveling more. I buy bars at the airport, but all of this makes a lot of sense. Um, what, what are you seeing? Are you seeing other things like come back and other things dip? Like, are you seeing if you were going to do like a mini report on categories during COVID, post COVID, et cetera, you know, what would be sort of the, the three to five big takeaways? I think you would like this condiments are going up because people are still cooking at home and they want like easy things that people love to kind of mix and try. So I think condiments on our, on our, on a rise, um, which is wonderful. Um, yes. we have seen a little bit more of like, 
in our store particularly more of like a dipping like cookies you know more of like that sweet type of thing but we'll see sometimes more of like individual people like oh I want the individual but not so much the big bag um and then candy people have been having a lot more candy um yeah and more candy versus larger chocolate bars especially within our store um and then also gearing away caffeine but not coffee caffeine mm, interesting yeah you know it's so funny isn't it like it the world kind of moves in a big blob you know everything mm-hmm. that i kind of am like everything you said i'm like yeah that kind of tracks with my household you know yeah. i think there was like a comfort and like a what the hell is going on for a couple of years there where everyone was just like i'm just going to have a cookie you know it's like it's nostalgia it's like it makes us feel safe it has all of those you know elements to it and now we're like no i just want like something sweet and a little chewy cuz you know yeah. but i'm not going to like drown my sorrows in a cookie um yeah okay so little last question best piece of advice you have that you wish all of the brands that you, you know, work with, that you'd like to work with, that you can't work with, that you have worked with, like, what's the one thing that you wish you could just tell all of us? Mm. That I guess it's just like, never be scared to ask questions and ask the reason why. Um, and I love to ask that same question. Um, But I also think that there's always this thing of there's never the right time and there's never a right time to do it or I'm waiting for this perfect time to do something, whether that's get PR, whether that's to get it into retail, that's whether to do anything in life. Mm -hmm. It's just a piece of advice that I always had that it's there's never a perfect time. You just have to go and do it because if you frame of thinking of you're never failing, because if you look at every failure as a learning experience, you know, do it better yep. then you should always just do it because like you're, you know, that if you do it wrong, you're going to do it right the next time or do it in a better system. And so you're not failing. So you should never look at anything as failing. It's just like a really great learning experience. And that's what I look at with every client that we have the opportunity to work with or every brand that I get to talk to that it's, I'm going to be honest with whether or not I like the taste or not and give you my feedback, but that's mine, but that's just to hopefully to help you improve. And that the same thing goes from like the PR perspective, you need to be able to say what you want of like, it's working or not working, or here's like what I would do differently without just saying, yes, you should never just be a yes man to someone. You have to grow and learn. And part of that is having those learning experiences that some would call a failure, but like, that's the beautiful moment that you have a big growth spurt after that. Yeah. I, when Noah from Ruby came on, he, I think he said, there's no founder jail, which is kind Mm -hmm. of the same thing in the sense that like, we're all people pleasers. We all want the world to love us and by an extension of us, our product or by an extension of our product, us, there is a particular Mm -hmm. type of person that just creates something that has never existed in the world. Yeah. You know, and, um, and that makes us vulnerable to not, you know, we're risk takers, but we're also very like, we almost like we jump, but then we like close our eyes and we're like, uh, you know, um, because you just said like, we're scared to ask the questions because sometimes we're scared of 
the answers. Um, but if you don't look at those answers like negatives, you just look at them like, you know, data points. Um, it's a really good, it's a really good way to live. All right, Rachel, thank you. It didn't disappoint. The three years was worth it. Everyone <laughs> go to, what is it? Krupa Consulting to look at the yeah. Inspire program. Yep. Amazing. And I'm sure that there will be people who may be pitching you to be on the shelves of the Goods Mart. Um, so, you know, maybe mention that you listen to her genius on this episode when you do that. And um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Yay. Armin, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, great job engineering. People ask me a lot, like, how do you run the business and do the podcast? And I'm like, I don't do anything. I just, you know, go on a thing and ask questions. So it's all Armin. Um, and I do have one more episode next week. Um, it's with Holly Adrian from Kroger. I don't think it's one anybody's going to want to miss um, before winter break. So I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.